You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast. During his earthly ministry, Jesus made it patently obvious that he wasn't just some prophet or do-gooder. He made it absolutely clear that he is something absolutely other. Jesus is God. Jesus is light. And last week we celebrated the fact that Jesus is the risen Savior. But all of that truth, when we're confronted with it, leads us to a choice. Will we believe it or not? And each of us has to come to that choice on his or her own. And the statement we'll see today is an amazing statement. I am the light of the world. And the setting for that statement is fabulous. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's one of three feasts that Israel celebrates every year. It was late fall. The harvest had come in. And what they were celebrating was God's provision for them in the Exodus, taking them out of Egypt and watching over them in the desert. And so it is within this celebration that Jesus makes this amazing statement. Now I wanted to show you real briefly here what this might have been like at the temple, because this is where the celebration was held. The, the temple was a massive structure, and deep within it was this place called the Court of Women. It was the, unfortunately the only place women could go, also called the treasury. And so it was way deep inside of here that people were celebrating. This next view of it will give you a better idea of what it might have been like. This is inside of the treasury or the court of women. And what would happen is these lamps right here, these four lamps, would be lit at night and send a glow all over the countryside. People would dance and celebrate, and it was all about God's provision for them. And then if you just look at this mock-up of what the temple might have looked like, you see the lamps that are lit here, you see the, the temple court here, and if you know at all the size of the temple mount where the Dome of the Rock now sits, the immense effect that would have had. You would have been able to see this for miles, this light glowing. And it was within this context that Jesus makes that statement, I am the light of the world. There could be no mistake. Just as those four lamps lit that night sky, Jesus brings light to the world. He exposes sin, and then he forgives us for sin because he died for it. But the one thing that that statement does do, without a shadow of a doubt, I am the light of the world, it cuts a dividing line. Either you believe it or you don't. You can't be in the middle because Jesus didn't claim to be someone in middle ground. He's offering light because he is the only way to have relationship with God. But this statement also brings amazing hope to our lives. I am the light of the world means that we can live with confidence because light overcomes darkness. And so today we're going to see that we must choose what we believe 
We must choose to follow Jesus or not, to have relationship with God or not. The Jewish leaders, they said no. They said we're not going to do it. We're not going to believe in you. But the question today is for you, what do you say? So let's take our Bibles, if you would, and let's open to John. As we get back into the book of John this morning, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. If you want to grab a Bible that's in the rack in front of you, you can turn to page number 894. You can always use your Ridgewood app as well and just hit Media Study Guide and just tap to today's date. John 8, beginning in verse 12. So Jesus made this incredibly important announcement at the perfect time. Just when the light was shining over the landscape. The Jewish leaders, though, didn't buy it. They decided not to believe. But what will you say? So let's look at the text together. Beginning in verse 12, the word again is a continuation in this discourse at the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths that began back in chapter 7. So again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. 15. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one that bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So that's powerful dialogue, and it leads us back into our series, Learning Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we broke off before the Easter season. We studied the origins, the, the creative power of Christ in his ministry, and then the signs of Jesus. Now we're on to the I am saved sayings of Christ. And just before Easter, we were on I am the bread of life. And now we come back to this amazing saying that I am the light of the world. And Jesus contrasts himself between light and darkness. And this is not an unfamiliar theme for John either. If you look back at the beginning of John, back in chapter 1, we remember in 1, 4, and 5, John said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John is in this theme of light. Jesus is now emphasizing that I am the light of the world. I am the only light of the world. Jesus is not a light. He is the light. Therefore, we must make a decision about him. And so here's the first point I want to make this morning. And that is Jesus claims to be the light, 
He's the true light. So what will you say to that claim? Because you can't just say, I don't know. Maybe it can work both ways. No, because Jesus is claiming something that is defining. And so we must make a decision. If you remember back in John 1, 9, John told us that the true light who would enlighten everyone was coming into the world. And now he's in the world. And here he is making this claim of being the light of the world. Now, for, for the Jew, this was really, really important. The setting is not by accident, because when it came to light, what a Jewish person would have thought of immediately is the light in the glory of the cloud that led Israel out of bondage in Egypt and toward the promised land. And that's exactly what they were celebrating at the temple, that very event. And so here you have this amazing moment when Jesus claims to be the light of the world, but what he's really saying is, and what they're starting to perceive him saying is, I am that light. Yes, Yahweh. I'm the one that led you out of bondage. Well, no wonder that would have been a hard decision to make. Because who is this guy to make those kinds of claims? And Jesus knew that the concept of light is very important to the Jewish people. It's all over the Old Testament. In Psalm 27, 1, it tells us that the Lord is my light and my salvation. In Isaiah 49, 6, Jesus is appointed as a light to the Gentiles. A light. And then Zechariah 14, 5 through 7 promises continual light. And it's all over the Old Testament. Light. So here's Jesus making this outrageous claim underneath these massive burning lamps in the temple. The question is, do you believe his claim? Do you buy into the fact that he is the true light? Because if you do, it not only changes your eternal future, it will change your temporal lives too. And one thing I want you to be thinking about this morning is what it would be like to have this light seep into every corner of your soul, even the areas that you're really struggling in, and believe in God's power to transform you. So Jesus is true light. But in order for light to shine, there needs to be darkness. And darkness in the Bible signifies the lostness of sin which Jesus came to deal with, of course, and it can be swallowed up in light. So here's the second point I want to make, and that's this. The Bible says that light overshadows darkness. Now, we may believe this at a theological level. We may believe it from a biblical standpoint, but do we really believe it in our own lives that light overshadows darkness? What will we say about this particular claim? Look at the second half of verse 12 again, because here Jesus paints the contrast himself between light and darkness and his ultimate victory over it. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that's not a statement that's very confusing. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's nothing abstract about that. It's in your face. It elicits a decision. 
And there are huge and massive consequences for that decision. Because if you decide to say no, then you will be lost in that darkness that the light can overshadow. You will not only be lost eternally, and that's a horrible price to pay for unbelief, because sin has consequences, and you will be spending eternity separated from God in conscious torment. That's a horrible price to pay. But even temporally, if you decide that you don't need the light, then you're going to be wandering around probably from relationship to relationship and spiritual place to spiritual place, always looking for that answer, never finding fulfillment and joy. Because Jesus makes this point. If you follow me, you will find life. If not, you will be lost in darkness. So what do you say? You see, I am the light of the world is more than just a nice saying. And I fear what's happened in our Christian world at times, and it's nobody's fault, but we put all of these sayings and all of these signs and we think about it through the lens of what we were taught in Sunday school and it's nice and Jesus is being thoughtful. And No. This is a declaration almost of war. I am the light of the world. Believe it or not, I am that person. And with it, is a line in the sand. It's a declaration of power. It's a declaration of authority. It's a declaration of divinity. So you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Will you say that Jesus is true light? Will you say and admit that Jesus can change you because he overcomes darkness? Well, Jewish leaders were really struggling with this. They weren't really enamored with the things that Jesus was saying. And so now, it's the authority of Christ to make that claim that comes into question. And in 13, again, we see the darkness of the Jewish leaders. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They had chosen unbelief. Here's the next point. The Pharisees did not believe, but what about you? Will you allow God this morning to show you the way to eternal life? And will you allow God this morning, if you're already a follower of Christ, to show you that he can transform your life even in the dark recesses of your soul that you think there's no hope in? Do you think God can really do that? Because this claim by Jesus is a powerful claim. And the Pharisees did not believe because they were looking through a temporal lens. They couldn't see through the eyes of faith. They were in a power struggle. And so what, what does Jesus do? He gives three evidences here as to why his testimony was true. The first one is in 14 and 15. And that's simply this. He knew where he came from and he knows where he's going and they don't. Look what he says in 14 and 15. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You're ju you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. You cannot indict me because I have greater knowledge and understanding than you do. Second evidence in 16. He, he, he talks about his intimate relationship with the Father. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
Now you can almost just see the Pharisees standing there just starting to shake. You know what I mean? They're probably so angry. Like whatever that stuff they wear is probably rattling. You know, like, see this. And then Jesus tops it off with another evidence in 17 and 18 because he knew that in the law that they abided by in their cold, hard hearts, they did follow the law, that if you brought an accusation against someone, you had to have at least two witnesses. So Jesus throws it right back at them, and here's what he says. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Who are the two witnesses? Jesus and the Father. You cannot say my testimony is not true. Well, I'm sure the Pharisees by this time were, you know, like beside themselves because their hearts were hard. And, and they weren't looking this through spiritual lenses. They had already made a decision. We are not going to believe no matter what you tell us. Because of what Jesus is claiming here is the antithesis of what they wanted people to believe because it took their power away. And they would have had to acknowledge the new kingdom that Jesus was establishing. They'd already made up their minds. And if you look at 19, it confirms their spiritual blindness. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus clearly had just said that the father is Yahweh. And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Powerful wording. And it's still true today. What you believe about Jesus is your decision. It's not your parents' decision. It's not your friend's decision. It's not your spouse's decision. You've got to decide what you believe about Jesus. But he's claiming here to be the one true light. He's claiming that he can overcome all darkness of sin. And the Jewish leaders made the wrong choice because they were stuck. Don't get stuck. It's easy to get stuck. When we, when we have things go on in our lives, or, or when someone hurts us, or we have a sin that we really struggle with, we just tend to get stuck, and we stop believing that God can do anything about that. Or we just convince ourselves that we're right, and we don't really want God to do anything about it. Because we like being right. This is what was happening to the Pharisees, and the consequences to them is heartbreaking and massive. Do not get stuck like they were. Because within the stinging rebuke in 19, Jesus makes it clear that you can't know the Father unless you know him first. And that's what I want to say here and make this point. In order to know the Father, you must know Jesus. You must know Jesus. And so what do you say to that? Because you can't just say, I love God, if you don't acknowledge Jesus. The Jewish festival at which Jesus made this claim is a celebration of the God of Israel. Jesus is claiming to be the God of Israel. And what's really interesting here is that Moses, the deliverer that they're celebrating, as he led people out of bondage and, and praised Yahweh for protecting him, the fulfillment of Moses is standing right in front of them. Because Moses was a type of Christ. He was the foreshadowing of the real deliverer. 
And they didn't acknowledge that Jesus is that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because they didn't want to acknowledge it. They couldn't see it. Their eyes were blinded. And I, I don't want you to come into that place where your eyes are blinded. Because it's a terrible place to be. And so you can see the Pharisees just really struggling with how do we believe in this person? But look at these words again. You know neither me nor my father. Those are terrible words. I don't want anybody to ever hear those words. I don't want to hear those words. And that's why we need to be motivated to go tell people about the light of the world. So they never have to hear those words. Because our culture thinks that you can meander around in the religious landscape and somehow you're going to end up a truth that's not the way it works. We have to get the truth into the hands of people. That's why we want to make Jesus known. And that's why it's so vitally important. A lady sent me an article from a, a magazine called Charisma Magazine. It's called How the New Christian Left is Twisting the gospel by a lady named Chelson Vicari. And here's what she writes in part of this article. What I hope and pray evangelical parents and leaders come to realize is that the church has been too trusting. In our jam-packed lifestyles, parents have treated Sunday school as they do softball or ballet class. Drop off the kids for an hour, pick them up, and hope they learn something. Early on in my Sunday school teaching days, my co-teacher and I followed the curriculum pretty narrowly, the exception being that my co-teacher had a knowledge of the history of the Bible that he imparted to the kids. We taught all about Jesus' birth, resurrection, and saving grace. Thinking the fluffy kids' ministry curriculum covered all the necessary bases, I felt confident that these kids had a firm grasp on their Christian worldview. Boy, was I wrong. One day, my co-teacher and I decided to play true or false. So we casually went down a list of worldview questions with our class, sure that our little evangelicals would nail every question correctly. Question one, Jesus is God. Answer, true. Bingo, they got it. Great job. Question number two, Jesus sinned. Answer, false. Yes, the evangelical children were doing well. Question number three, Jesus is one of many ways to heaven. Answer, true. What? Yes. These young evangelicals had been listening to their Sunday school teachers and their parents, but they had also been listening to their public school teachers, TV celebrities, music stars, and the like. Listen, parents, it's, it's, it's our responsibility to teach our children about the exclusivity of Christ in salvation. The church wants to partner with you, but it's not the school's job or the church's job. It's our job. Because this lady's right, we can't assume anymore that our kids are just going to inhale this like vapor and get the truth right because our culture does not believe this anymore. Our culture believes there are multiple ways to find God. And no longer is the culture going to play nice with the church. 
Those days are gone. Cast them out. Because now you have to take the mantle of responsibility. And that's a blessing. You know why? Because if culture turns away from the church like it is at record speed, then the church is going to flourish like never before because it will be pruned. True believers are going to rise up and we're going to train another generation in what it really means to follow Jesus Christ, even if it's a cost. So Jesus is making this claim. He's saying, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. What do you say about that? They didn't arrest Jesus. They wanted to, but he wasn't ready yet. But he, he left no doubt as to who he is. He's the light of the world. He's the true light. He overcomes darkness. We must know him to know God. You know, it's funny, like, we have this belief system like, um, oh yeah, he believes in God. So great. That's not enough. You know, sometimes when you're on a website, there's clickbait. There's like a celebrity, you know, so-and-so talks about their faith. And so we click on that. This could be really great, you know, and there's nothing there. Like, I believe in faith. So, you got to believe in Jesus, and you have to believe, not only believe in Jesus, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, died on the cross for sin, and rose again. If you don't believe that, you got nothing. Jesus is the light of the world. And so, what do you say to all of this truth and information that we have just seen? So let me just give you some practical ideas of how you can process this. First, you can't find spiritual fulfillment without following Jesus. You can try, but you're not going to find any. And, and that's become abundantly clear through this teaching. And, and John records all of these signs and wonders and healings. And John is right there to hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. And what he's saying is you can't meander around the religious landscape and hope to find fulfillment. You're going to be left empty and always searching. Secondly, Jesus speaks with the Father's authority. His words are true and reliable and powerful. And I think sometimes these words like, the Father who sent me bears witness about me just kind of fly by us. But what he's really saying is, is if you want to be with God, if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be in heaven, then you have to follow me because the Father sent me. The Father and I bear testimony about me. Other, other places in Scripture, the Father and I are one. And so you can't go forward without believing in Jesus. And if you want to grow as a disciple in Christ, then begin to obey the words of Jesus Christ. If you read through the epistles, like Paul's epistles, if you read through James, if you read through Peter's writings, they're focused on the risen Christ. They're obeying him. They're not coming up with some new thing. And I would encourage you to go to Matthew 5 through 7 and read through the Sermon on the Mount and begin to, begin to obey those principles and you'll see your life transformed. Because Jesus speaks with authority. Thirdly, light overcomes darkness, so don't be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. And the world is a frightening place. Another synagogue shooting yesterday. The thing in Sri Lanka. I mean, when is it going to end? And we don't hardly want to go out of our homes. 
But here's what we can believe. That light overcomes darkness. And so not only can we live our lives in courage, that we can walk as Jesus' followers in courage. We can tell others about Jesus with courage because light overcomes darkness. And in fact, Jesus already has. And when we believe that, we begin to deal with the fear we have in our own lives. We begin to deal with the anxiety of what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my job? Is my husband going to stay with me? All of these things are frightening things. But what Jesus is saying is, I am the light of the world. He has authority. He overshadows darkness. Just walk with Jesus. Get in that light and just walk with him. And that light will just put that darkness aside. And then finally, what I would say to you about this truth is misjudging Jesus will lead to destruction. Don't misjudge Jesus. The, the, the Jewish leaders made a massive mistake. They misjudged Jesus. So they're gonna, they, they paid both temporally. The, the temple was overthrown not long after this. They paid eternally, and don't pay that eternal price because if you stay in sin and reject Jesus, then you will not see light. But if you say yes, I believe that, I'm going to live for that, I'm going to let Jesus seep into my soul as my Savior and as my transforming power, you will live new life and eternal life, and that's what the light of the world brings to the table. So what are you going to do? What do you say? Are you going to hang on to that belief system that Jesus can't possibly be who he said he is, or are you going to let yourself believe that? Are you going to hang on to that bitterness and that envy and that anger, and that fear? Or are you going to let Jesus inside those dark places of your soul? That's what's on the table today. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes, close your eyes, and let God speak to you, because this is your decision and no one else's, and then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.